0: Visit our website at fbcloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning. Thank you, worship team. Powerful last song, great set this morning. Truly appreciate your ministry to us. Uh, It's a privilege to be with you this morning and to be able to present God's word to you. I want to welcome you that are here and also those of you who are watching online I happen to know a couple of people out east that are watching, my mom and dad. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And He says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplication with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God as a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So we're going to look at three different things that make Jesus, uh, that assure us that Jesus is the great high priest. The first one is the fact that Jesus has greater access. And we can see in verse 14, it says that he has passed through the heavens. Since then, we have a high priest who has passed through the heavens, and, and really, you know, when I read that, I'm like, well, what does that mean? What does it mean that Jesus has passed through the heavens? And there's a couple things that we can take from that. First thing that we need to understand is that Jesus, as the eternal Son of God, of course, was in heaven with the Father before he became man. And so he, he passed really from heaven, his place with God, down to earth, became a man, lived perfect life, died the death that, that, that we deserve, not that he deserved, and then rose again and ascended back up into heaven. So in that sense that Jesus has passed through the heavens. He has passed from heaven to earth and ascended back to heaven again. But there's also a much deeper meaning uh, for us as well. If you think back to the priests of Aaron, they were only allowed to pass through the veil into the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement. We also saw that they had to burn incense to fog their sight so they couldn't clearly see God's glory and majesty. Jesus, as our high priest, did not have to worry about the veil, and he he did not have to worry about being in the presence of God. He, as as our high priest, bypassed the earthly manifestation of God's presence and went straight into the very presence of God on our behalf. His intercession for us is not limited by human weakness. He is Jesus, the Son of God, and as a son, he has full access to the Father. Just to give you a little picture of that, I just think back of a, of a story that happened in my, in my childhood. My sister and I, uh, we were riding our bikes to the library and along the way she had fallen off and, and you know, scraped her knee or whatever. It wasn't a major injury, but it needed a little bit of care and attention and, and a little parental uh, care and love as well. We were quite a ways from home, but on the road we are, uh, we were on, my father had his office. And he was just starting his accounting practice at that time, and so he had rented some space. It was in the basement of a, of a business and so we were closer there. I said to Vicky, well, let's go. let's go see Dad. And so we kind of rode our bikes there, finished the ride to the office, hopped off the bikes, went into the main door the main lobby, and there was his office. The door was shut, and I just barged right in. This is my dad. I need to see him. Walked right in, and boom, he was sitting there behind his desk. But what I didn't know is that he was in the middle of a meeting with a potential employee. He was in the middle of an interview. He kind of looked at me, and I kind of looked at him, and, you know, and, and without missing a beat, Dad looked at the lady he was eventually going to hire, and he said, Linda, this is, this is my son, Bruce, and my daughter, Vicky." There was no hesitation on Dad's part to welcome me into his presence. There was no hesitation on my part to just walk into Dad's office. He's my dad. I, I, I have access. I'm his son. And he confirmed that that day by just saying, hey, you know, what's, what's going on, and introducing me to the lady he was interviewing. And as Jesus, as our high priest, he has that same access to the Father, he is welcome into the presence of God because he is the Son of God. The Bible tells us in 1 John chapter uh, or First John chapter two uh, that Jesus is our advocate. He is constantly in the Father's presence, advocating for us, working on our behalf. Hebrews chapter seven verse twenty five tells us that he ever lives to make intercession for us. So, as the writer of Hebrews is contrasting the high priest, he said, "You have a high priest that you had a high priest." that could once a year go into the presence of God with fear and trepidation and, and not really being able to fully see the presence of God. Or you have a high priest who is the Son of God, who is welcomed fully into the presence of God at any time, who sits at his right hand and is constantly working on your behalf. And so he's saying Jesus is the greater high priest because he has a greater access. The second thing that we need to see is that Jesus is a greater example or he has a better record. It says, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. The high priests that served before Jesus came to earth, they were mere men. They, as you can see if you look at uh, the first two verses of chapter 5, if you just want to look there for yourself, that they had the same sin nature that you and I have. They were fallen, broken sinners, representing God before fallen, broken sinners. Yet, they were specially chosen by God, but they were, at best, sinful men with a tremendous responsibility of being chosen by Him to a very important role. When they offered their sacrifices, they first had to offer a sacrifice for their own sin. They didn't have a perfect record and could boldly enter into God's presence. They had a same sinful human record that we have. And they had to be sure that they had offered a sacrifice for their sins before they could be that intermediary, the mediator between us and, and God. Jesus, on the other hand, has a perfect record. You know, and I've often thought about that as, as, as we think about Bible stories, I think sometimes we read things and we don't really stop and think, what does that really mean on a, on a real everyday level? Could you imagine growing up with a perfect sibling? Could you imagine how difficult that would have been You know, Mary says, hey, who ate the last piece of unleavened bread without asking? You know, and they'd be like, is it Jesus or is it you? Well, Jesus never does anything wrong, so it was you. You know, when Joseph said, hey, who borrowed my tools and and broke one? You know, two stories. Jesus never lies, so it wasn't Jesus, it was you. You know, so I think at times, man, it would have been difficult. And you see some of that hostility later in the Gospels with, between Jesus and his, and his siblings, how they sort of had a negative attitude towards him. And you think that's probably a little bit of sibling rivalry coming through. You know, but as you think about that, what, what it would it have been like to, to face every temptation and yet to be without sin? Here, that's what the writer of Hebrews said, that, that he has faced every single temptation that we face. And as I think about that, I, I kind of feel irreverent a little bit, to think that, that Jesus is tempted in the same ways that I am. That he's tempted, that he was tempted to take anger and let it lodge within him. That he was tempted when somebody got something better than him to be jealous. To be tempted when, when you know, people mocked him to, to lash out. I mean, think of the power that he had available to him to get back at those that had, uh, that had picked on him or offended him. And yet, in every situation in life, Jesus always chose obedience. He always chose to obey. He accomplished for us what we couldn't accomplish on our own, and that is that perfection before God, that sinlessness. And not only was he without sin, in Hebrews 5.8 it says this, Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Here, the Son of God leaves heaven, comes to earth, and he was not spared any of the sufferings that we face today. He was betrayed, mocked, rejected, slandered. He experienced the death of his friends and probably his family. Many people feel that his father, Joseph, had passed away by the time that he started his ministry, or at least by the time he was crucified. He walked through the deepest hurts and pains of life, and yet he still obeyed the Father in every single area. The human Jesus came to earth. He suffered. He experienced temptation. He experienced suffering. And yet in every situation, he always did what pleased the Father. He always did what was required by God in, in God's perfect standard. And then Hebrews 5.9 says this, And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him. And that phrase, being made perfect, can be a little confusing at first glance. I mean, wasn't Jesus always perfect? So what is the writer saying here when it says that he was made perfect? Well, part of the plan of redemption was that Jesus would come, live a sinful life, die a death that he didn't deserve, taking the penalty for our sin, and then three days later, rising again. And in order to complete that mission, he had to be tested. He could have just come, landed, been crucified, and left. But the whole thing was he needed to be tested. So not because the Holy Spirit and the Father were in heaven going, gee, I hope this plan works. But for us to see that he came, lived that perfect human life. was tempted in every way like we were, suffered in every way like we do, and yet still remained sinless, still remained perfect before the Father. So when Jesus died on the cross, uh, he died with a perfect record. The other priests could be sympathetic and understanding because of their own sin, but sympathy and understanding could not accomplish what Jesus accomplished for us. His sacrifice did not need to be repeated. His sacrifice made possible eternal salvation for those of us who obey him by placing our faith and trust in him. Jesus does not have to repeat his sacrifice. We don't have to anxiously await the next day of atonement and hope that the sacrifice is accepted. Our great high priest fulfilled his mission and obtained eternal salvation for all who obey by placing their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Next point is the fact that that Jesus had a greater lineage. Now, we're just going to spend a lot of time on here, but the Aaronic priesthood was a high calling. Not just anyone could step into that role, as we've said, and they had to meet specific qualifications. The writer of Hebrews notes that Jesus did not just assume the role of high priest for himself, but he was appointed by the Father. And you can see that in Hebrews 5, 5 and 6. Jesus, so also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So again, the, the, your family line was super important in becoming a priest and becoming into the role of the high priest. And so here, Jesus' family line is, is brought into evidence, and he says, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. His, his sonship, his, 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 his family line exceeded that of the Aaronic priesthood because his family line is that he was the son of God. He is the son of God. And not only that, it says that you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And, and Melchizedek, he's a really interesting guy, and Doug's going to spend a little bit more time talking about him, I think, on, in, in chapter 7. So just want to just touch base on that just for a little bit, just skim over that. But, but in what, what, what's being said here in the scripture is this: Melchizedek is this guy in, in Genesis, who Abraham meets and, and offers ties to and, and different things along those lines. And in the book of Genesis, um, Melchizedek doesn't have a list of his, of his lineage, or his, his family line. And so this has sort of given him that appearance. It's, it's a type of Jesus of being eternal, because he didn't have parents listed, you know, sort of alluding to the fact that, that maybe he was eternal, uh, just as a picture. And so here, what, what, what the writer of Hebrews is saying and quoting Psalm 110, you were a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek, is he's just reinforcing the fact that the Aaronic priesthood was temporary and Jesus' priesthood is eternal. It will never It will never end. We never have to fear that that there's going to be a new system. We never have to fear that there's going to be a greater sacrifice. His sacrifice is complete. His lineage is eternal. So again, what does that mean for us? What can we take away uh, from this message of Jesus as our great high priest? And I think there's just three things I want to touch on. First, having Jesus as our high priest allows us to be confident in our faith. Since then, we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. Here, we have to understand that that as we look at Jesus, we understand his life and the miracles that he performed, his death and then his resurrection, there is no other religious system that has a Savior who died and rose again. And the, the writer of Hebrews is saying, hey, don't turn away from who Jesus is. Don't turn away from what he has accomplished. Because of what he has done, he is our confidence. He is the one that we can hold fast to. And as we suffer, as we face difficulty in life, we are going to be tempted to turn our attention somewhere else. We are going to be tempted to turn our attention and say, ah, oh, I, I need to go here for fulfillment. I need to go here for comfort. But the writer of Hebrews is saying, no, 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 no. Jesus is our great high priest. And because of what he has accomplished, we need to hold fast to him. Like our song said, because he lives, we can face tomorrow. Because he lives, our fear is gone. And we need to place our confidence in him, and we need to hold fast to him. The second thing is that we need to be bold to enter into the presence of God. Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Do you know, it's, it's very rare, maybe, that we feel the right and the privilege to just come boldly into God's presence. There is always a, a whisper in our mind, well, what about this area of your life? Get that fixed, and then you can run into God's presence. What about this area in life? Well, make sure you deal with that, and then God will welcome you. But as I was reading this passage this week, this is such a beautiful passage because let us draw confidence, uh, let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Why? As we draw near, as we come boldly, then we receive mercy. You know, we receive this, this awesome welcome into God's presence and find grace to help in the time of need. The the religious side of us, the the, the works-based side of us says, when I accomplish, then I'll be accepted. Jesus, as our great high priest, says this, you can't accomplish. But if you come boldly into my presence through my grace, through my strength, then you can accomplish what you've been asked to do. We can't fix ourselves and then serve God. We need to come to Him boldly and we need to say, God, I'm broken. God, I'm weak. God, I can't carry out this. I can't forgive that person. I don't want to let go of that hurt. I can only do that with your strength. God, I, I, I'm just, I'm, I'm hanging on to this anger, you know, and, and I, it just, I can justify that anger, and but I need to let go of it. I can't do it without your help. And God doesn't say, get fixed and then come see me. He says, you can't fix yourself, so come see me. Come into my presence. There you'll receive mercy. There there you will receive the strength that you need to accomplish the things that I've asked you to do. So because we have a great high priest, we can come boldly. And then the last thing that I want to to, to bring out is is this, is just reading that passage, and especially first couple verses of chapter 5, thinking about the high priest. A sinful, broken man being asked to, in front of a whole nation, really show them what God was like to mediate, to go in between God and man, to offer sacrifices for the people's sin. You know, again, he wasn't perfect. He didn't have a perfect record. And yet God chose him. God chose him and said, I have a job for you and I want you to show me to other people. I want you to show what I am like to other people. One of Jesus' disciples, Peter, who had his fair share of mistakes recorded in the Gospels for us, says this in 1 Peter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you might proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. On our own, we're sinful, broken people. But when we place our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, he puts a calling on us. And that calling is, hey, I want you to proclaim the goodness, my greatness to people around you. You might not have a a public ministry role. You might not have a big online presence. You might not have whatever. But God has said, I've called you wherever you are to represent me to the people around you. We can't do that on our own, but we can do that because our great high priest is ever sitting at the right hand of the Father saying, hey, we've called this one. We've called this one. He's forgiven. She's forgiven. She's accepted. She's welcome." They're usable to proclaim our nature and character to the people who are around them. So this morning, I, I trust that we've seen that Jesus truly is the great high priest. He has, he has and grants us greater access to God. He's faced all of life's challenges and was, was perfect, was sinless. His lineage, his priesthood is not temporary. It's not going to be replaced by another system. And so today... As we leave here today, are you holding fast to him? In times of suffering, are you tempted to turn away? The writer of Hebrews says, don't do that. Hold fast to him. You know, sorry, I just blanked out for just one second. <laughs> His priesthood, again, is eternal. It's for us. Um, and, and he desires to use us. And so we can, with boldness, come into his presence and ask him for the help that we need. Are you doing that? Are you asking him, Lord, just help me? Help me to do what you've called me to do and help me uh, to proclaim you to those around us. So today, if you're here and you know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, I would just really encourage you to thank him for his priesthood. Just really encourage you to, to just thank him for what he's done for you and what he does constantly for you in the presence of the Father. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, you know, I would encourage you, make sure you talk to somebody before you leave. Maybe it's one of the greeters on the way out the door. Maybe it's the person that invited you to be here with them today. Uh, just say, hey, I, I need to know what it means to have a relationship with Jesus, to have my sins forgiven. And we would love to talk to you. I'm sure they'd love to talk to you about that. And then you know, just come see one of us as staff as well. We would love to point you in that direction. If you're watching online today and you, you would like to know, hey, what, what does this all mean? Uh, you can go to the church website. You can just click on contact us. There's a couple different ways. You can email the office or there's a, a connection card to fill out. And you can just, just drop us a line and say, hey, I'd like to know more about a relationship with God. Or, hey, I've got this going on in my life and I need somebody to pray for me or whatever. Please, just, just take advantage of that. And one of the staff will get back to you early in the week and, and we'd love to, love to chat with you about whatever's on your heart. And so, yeah, we just want to encourage you to take advantage of those things. As we close our service today, we're going to celebrate uh, the service of communion, uh, the service that Jesus instituted just before he was, he was put to death, the night he was betrayed. It's a service of remembrance. It's a service of reflection and repentance, you know, to, to say, hey, you know, am I walking in close fellowship with God? Is there anything that I'm hanging on to uh, sin-wise that needs to be confessed? Is there any issue that I have between a, a brother or sister in Christ that I need to make right? It's a time for us to examine ourselves, and so um, you can just rip off that top layer there, take out the the wafer, and 1 Corinthians eleven, uh, Paul says this: For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that on the night that Jesus took the, that the Lord Jesus on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, "This is my body, which is for you." Do this in remembrance of me. And I encourage you to take this bread and as you do, just be thankful for the death that Jesus took in your place. As we continue on, the Apostle Paul says, in the same way, he also took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So as we take this cup of communion, we are proclaiming what God has done for us. And we are proclaiming that we have received that and that we are walking in fellowship with him. So let's take the cup. Let's just close our service in a word of prayer. Father, I do thank you um, for your great love for us. Thank you for Jesus, our great high priest who is constantly interceding for us, who who invites us to come boldly into your presence, to find grace and strength that we need in the time of need. So Lord, thank you that Jesus was willing to do that for us, to take the suffering that we deserve, to live that perfect life and then to, to die such a horrible death in our place. Pray that we would just, live a life of gratitude and love for our Savior. And Lord, that we would proclaim his excellencies to those around us. I just thank you in your name. So I do just want to thank you for, for joining us this morning. Um, as we do our dismissal thing, I'm going to try to get this right, this section here. You head out that side door over there. Thank you for being with us. There's a basket for offering on your way out. You guys in the middle, I think we're going out this door. All right. And again, there'll be somebody there to welcome you in the foyer. And this door, I think you go out to one that says exit. And so that's normally a good one to go out. So thank you for being with us this morning. Uh, I look forward to seeing you and, and getting to know more of you as our time here uh, continues on. God bless.